I'm going to put you on the spot because you hurt my feelings week after week. What did you think of last week's show? Did we have a show last week? My freak. Our editors went out of their way to fulfill your requests, and you can't do them the oh simple my God, justice they did? of listening to the... My God, man. I mean, really. <laughs> well, yes, they really did. Not, not only did they fulfill your request, and they must listen to the show because they did it. They did it without your prompting? They, they sent me multiple copies of what? the show with with and without the music in case I wasn't happy. What? I wasn't particularly happy with the music that they put in there, but they made the effort to do it, so I kept it in there. Oh, my God. I apologize See? to our editors. I will absolutely <laughs> put aside time to listen to my own show. You're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 36, recorded November 10th, 2016. In this episode, we talk about Laracon 2017 being announced, PHP 7.1 release candidate 6, the final release, has been released, Let's Encrypt is asking for your generosity, and the uh, new DMCA exemptions that give white hack hackers license to hack cars and medical devices. Let's get started. Good evening, Thomas. Good evening, Eric. Episode 36. 36 straight weeks we've talked to each other. Yeah, I like it. I like it too. It keeps us from talking too much, but talking <laughs> at least a little. Man, what a week it's been here. I tell you what. It's yeah. been one thing after another. We have um well let's let's talk about let's talk about the big thing here. We have a very strict policy. We we decided when we put this podcast together, there there are going to be certain things we weren't going to talk about. I was going to say we don't have any strict policies. <laughs> Politics was definitely high on that list, but with the elections that happened this week and the results of the elections, I, I'm giving us a pass, like a five minute opportunity here, starting right now to talk about it a little bit. Uh, and the the biggest thing I want to talk about with the with politics is especially for anybody listening outside the country who might be yeah. a little confused. Our many Brazilian listeners. <laughs> Our whole one Brazilian listener. No, no, we have a Brazilian listeners. That's a lot. They might be a little confused <laughs> why the U.S. is upset over their their election process, and I think the the one thing that May, might not be clear to everybody. And the thing that a lot of Americans are feeling frustrated about with this election, uh, they, they always tell you, get out and vote. Every vote counts. Every vote counts. And that's not completely true in the U.S. The way the, the U.S., uh, the, the voting works here in the U.S. In theory, sure, every vote counts. But we have this thing called electoral college. And that's actually the vote that counts. The vote that counts is the vote that your state puts towards a politician. For the most part, I, I don't want to get real deep into this. It, it, there's a lot of reasons. The reason why we have electoral college as opposed to popular vote. Popular vote is what you would expect. Whoever gets the most votes wins. And in theory, in electoral college, it should work that way as well. But there have been cases where it hasn't worked that way. And this year, this election was one of those cases where the person who got the popular vote, which means they've got, they got more votes than the other person, lost because they didn't get the electoral votes. And that's because the way the electoral college is laid out, some of the smaller states that have, have fewer po population, not even the smaller state, just the states that have uh, fewer population, they actually get more electoral votes than would be allotted for that population. And the reason behind that, in theory, it was designed that way so that those smaller populated states, whether it's something like Wyoming, that's a big state, just few people, or something like New Hampshire, New Hampshire, which is a small state, but a lot of people, is that they didn't want the politicians to ignore those states. The issue is, is you occasionally, and it's only happened four or five, maybe six times in history. Yeah, five last times. Last time now. I remember, five. Yeah. I I know it happened with uh, Gore and Bush, 
and then obviously with uh, Hillary and Trump. But the problem with that is like one person voting in Wyoming actually counts for four people voting in in California. So the the yeah sure every vote counts, but their vote counted four times more than your vote counted. And the thing is, is what whoever wins in your state, the loser those those votes go out the door like they're they're worthless because they don't they don't mean anything though if you voted for like hillary clinton won california well all the votes for donald trump who actually ended up winning the election all of the votes all the votes that were cast for donald trump are worthless because he didn't win california so only one person can win a state so that's why we ended up in this weird situation well, and Where... we also only have two parties, which is unusual in world politics. Is is most governments have at least three parties running, uh, but well, we we only have two. Well, we have. That's not completely true, though. Uh, until yeah, I mean, if you look at your ballot, you have more than two names on your ballot. Yeah, but until a third party receives seven percent of the popular vote, they don't receive national support and funding for. Uh, campaign mm, so okay. there's a whole bunch of rules because i mean we have we have other parties that are pretty big parties but they're, they're kind of more of, of an annoyance party than actually ever able to get elected to do anything yeah and some people say and, and I, again I, I don't we're coming up in our five minutes and i know i, I hogged most of it but <laughs> some people say they they actually they're actually detrimental to the whole process so, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if if you remembered Ross Perot, a lot of people say Clinton won because Ross Perot took George Bush Sr., took his votes, and that's actually why Clinton ended up, ended up winning. Uh, Ross Perot ran as an independent at the time and didn't get nearly enough votes to actually come close to winning, but he got enough, he took enough votes away from George Bush, who was our seating president at that time to swing the election over to uh, Bill Clinton. That's one of the kind of the theories. That's all I have to say about that. If anybody's wondering, I know, I know there's been a lot of confusion as to you know, why people might be upset, why the person who got the most votes didn't win the election. You know, it's a process here. It's not, it's not a perfect process, but it's one we live with, and it's better than most countries. It yeah. just doesn't always work out. <laughs> and the writing always dies down eventually. Yeah. So that's my my politics thing. I, I didn't want to not say anything about it because obviously it was it was a big news item, but at the same time I don't have a lot to to get into. I'm not gonna beat the dead horse on this one. I like how it segues into our next topic, which is have you ever have you ever looked at something and just said, Oh, this isn't working and scrapped the whole thing and started over? <laughs> <laughs> I, I and that's a very common practice for me unfortunately i like get i get like 80 yards into it and i'm like ah oh, man this is just you've, you you've you've gone too far down the path and and just dump all the code and, and start from scratch i take it you had to do that recently no but it's been it's been on my mind you know for the last couple of weeks i've been talking about this project that's just sort of dragging its feet along and missing deadlines and deadlines. And uh, there's definitely a point where I saw it turning into a monolith and said, we've got to stop this while we can, and then realize, well, it's just too late. We're already deadline behind. We don't have a starting yeah. position. That's, yeah. If you're going to scrap a project, it's got to, you've got to pull that trigger. Man, yeah, that's t So when I say I've done that in the past, it's been on personal projects. Yeah, but yeah, when somebody when somebody's been paying you for months and you've been working on something, that's a hard conversation. Yeah, and you know, it's I think when it's something that just you were working on, it's not very common. But uh, this this one became monster through team effort, and uh, <laughs> and you know, we we haven't deployed yet, but we're still we're already talking about what the next iteration is going to be. And how quickly we can get that work started because I don't I don't think anyone's really happy with where we ended up. Disappointing to hear. That's disappointing. Yeah, I just I wonder, you know. So you've never done it 
Well, I mean, have you done it? Have you done it on a project that is a, a contract project? Have you gotten three days in and just shot all three days in the foot and started over? No, uh, I'm going to say no. I can't think of any any time I'd, I'd done that on a professional project. I'd love to hear from yeah, our, our I mean, listeners about a project where they made the right call and they killed the project early and restarted. Because it's something that, you know, it's occurred to me a couple times, hey, we should have killed this last week before it turned into a monster. And not, you know, not just this project. We've taken over projects like that. We, we've had a client come to us who had the beginnings of a of an application written in cake php and you know we just told them listen you've got some pretty good momentum here you've got some pretty good progress we're not going to take over cake php app you know if you guys want to consider going down continuing down this path we can we can help you find some resources but here's what we would do we would move this over to laravel da 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 and we kind of talk through all that and the client made the decision yeah scrap it just start start over but that that previous work wasn't our work and it wasn't bad work it was just it was on a much older or not much older it was a is a version old of uh cake php i think it was two and cake php is up to three or one to two i forget it, it was the it was a major revision behind what was released so it was missing things like composer and there was a lot of modern uh practices and workflows that it didn't have in it but yeah no that, that's a tough decision yeah so I, I i saw you had some other things on here i do i got i i sort of in my my bleary-eyed 10-hour day 12-hour day sessions kept running into articles that just struck my interest <laughs> One of them was a recommendation to remove the dash M support from Git. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Do you know what dash M does? Well, I mean, you, you can't commit without dash M. I, I have it. I, I have a shortcut, so dash M is always assumed. But that that adds the message to your commit. Yeah. So the way the way I've seen it is that dash M is for you know a message in line with the commit. And then if you don't leave it in there, then Vim will pop up and ask for your message or Nano or whatever you have configured. Right, right. And the recommendation was, you know, remove dash M from the command line, force them to pop open a text editor to, to fully commit a message, you know, because people are too inclined to, to type in a one-liner. I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Let me ask your opinion. I like my one sentence commit messages frequent and short, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on the commit, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you're doing a commit, that's fixing a bug. If you're doing a commit that, you know, it changes one or two files. Yeah. A one liner is more than enough. Why, why do you think you would need more? Now, if you're doing a commit that changes the architecture of the application, the behavior of the application, I encourage you to go in and create a better commit message. But, yeah, having somebody, forcing somebody to, I mean, even if a Vim uh, screen did pop up for me, it would still be a short commit message. I mean, that yeah. wouldn't make me do anything more. So what do you what do you put in your commit messages? Do you have, like, a ticket number, or is it just commit what changed and that's it? Right, so that's interesting with... The workflow that we have, and, and there's a lot of debate about this. We've we've talked about it a little bit in the past. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show before, but uh, the workflow that we have established is that there is a master repo, which is called Upstream. Everybody's kind of familiar with Upstream. But all of our developers fork from there, which is, you know, kind of, some people say that's a waste. Other people, you know, tend to agree with it, but... We have everybody fork from from upstream, and then everybody works off their own private repo. Now, what this allows them to do is they can put in kind of whatever commit messages they want there because it's not super impactful to us. What becomes impactful to us is when it gets merged back into the master the master repo. From there, they have to do pull request, and with the pull request with GitHub, we've set it up so we. It pops up that template. They have to fill out information. And, and yes, 
to your point, we actually have a format in the pull request that you have to reference a ticket number that the that the PR is related to from our ticketing system, have comment. I'm pretty lazy. I, I can get really lazy with my comments on my personal repo where I'm just like cleaning up code, cleaning up code, you know? Yeah. Because the thing is, is like if you're a developer, you just look at the diff and you can see what's changed. Uh, you know, I can, I can say created a new function called blah, blah, blah in my commit, but eh, I mean, if, if I need, if I'm looking at commits, you know, chances are I'm looking for something and I'm going to be looking at the code anyways. I try to be a little descriptive, but especially if I'm working, because I'm, I'm a committing, I commit like mad because I'm always paranoid. I'm going to lose the work I'm working on. So I, I like to push things up. I, I commit frequently. So I'll get into a little thing where you know, I'm committing like every hour, but not enough has changed from hour to hour to justify a whole new commit message. So sure. I'll have the same commit message for like four or five commits. Yeah, I like the uh, I like that pull requests require their own independent commit messages because, you know, tying it to a ticket, you can you can quickly look over things and say why is there a change in code that doesn't have anything to do with this ticket, you know, mm -hmm. and and GitHub is great because you can establish a line of communication with the person issuing the pull request, as well. You can say why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? And it, and all the communication stays there, right on the pull request. We're trying to get a lot better at having some of our conversation within the, the PRs themselves. Because, you know, with everybody in Slack, there's this kind of tendency to, to see a PR come in because we have all that stuff feed into Slack. And then somebody sees something and they'll just ask their question in Slack, which isn't terrible. But the thing is, is somebody else comes in and does a code review and they'll, they might have the same question and they're asking the same question in Slack. And it's like, all right, just... Put the question on the PR. That way, everybody can see that the question's already been asked and answered, and we can move on. Yeah, and those integrations can generate a lot of white noise sometimes that sort of tunes you out to what's actually happening. Uh, I know yeah, I've I've seen true. projects where I get get notifications in Slack constantly, and I've just learned to ignore them. Yeah. So, what about comments? What do, what's your opinion on comments? It's a very similar issue. I, I, this came up because I listened to a, a quick podcast from Jeffrey Way of Laracast fame. And uh, his, his podcast was about his workflow for essentially creating his methods as a comment first, line for line. This does this, then this does this, you know, pseudocode. And then replacing his comments with code that could be read the same way. Mm. So he's advocating generally that if your code is good enough you don't need comments and i know that that's a huge point in our community is that code should be self-explanatory if it's not then the code needs to be fixed not a comment added i'm wondering how you feel about that i don't know i'm on the fence about that one I, so i used to be really guilty of just writing books of comments i used to comment the hell out of my code and that was probably not the best thing to do. I would have like five lines of comment for one line of code, and it's just it, it was overkill. Yeah, it, but that it was is overkill. It, it, I guess probably more for me, kind of what Jeffrey Way was talking about, where I would kind of talk through what I was doing and writing it in the comments, but I wouldn't. I just wouldn't remove those comments. I would just add the code to it, and then I would have my comments and my code, and then there was a time where i was getting all into php docs and trying to make everything so it would generate these beautiful docs and so have we, have I, we become I've, fat and lazy programmers it's like i don't well, screw yeah, with doc blocks or code <laughs> exception hate that's for when things go wrong and things don't go wrong i have definitely pulled back a lot on my commenting and a lot of it has come from I challenge myself to write better code so that I don't need comments. But with that said, I was refactoring some code this week that needed comments. I mean, it just they just needed comments. I'm looking at at the code and it's a for each inside a for each with an if else 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 if else else. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I just uh, 
I needed something to help guide me through what I was looking at. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm still a fan of comments. I, I don't, I don't fault anybody for putting comments in there. You Ideally, just, even if your code's clean. You just inspired me to add comments to some of my code that I realized was co total nonsense. I have I have a code where it's handling pagination and inserting advertisements into giant lists of videos. Uh -huh. And so at some point, I'm paginating, and I say, okay, get the get the page count, insert the ads, divide it by half, and add 12. <laughs> and of course, of course, that means something really important, right? Like, add 12. Why is it 12? So I, I probably should just pop in there and add a comment that says, it's 12 because... It's the number of videos you fetch plus the number of ads you insert. That equals one full page. And I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, that's that's a perfect example. Now, I also like the Easter egg comments as well. I put a lot of those in there. Easter in the egg apology comments. comments. Oh, oh, yeah. Apology I'll, comments. I'll do, I'll, apology comments I put in. I, I, I don't do it so much as I used to, but back in my younger days i had a lot of apology comments to whatever future developer might be looking at that code piece yeah here there be dragons but, uh, <laughs> i i i will put uh i would put uh you know comments in from the drunk me to, to the sober me <laughs> mm. oh my god i've done that too oh what developer hasn't done it yeah, I, I'll, I'll intentionally put comments in for me to read again because I know I'm going to go back and look at that code and say, what was I doing here? And yeah. It's typically from an you know, intoxicated me to a sober me. No, I've, I've definitely left comments that said, uh, you did this at two in the morning. You should probably double check it when you wake up. <laughs> yep. Yep. Boy, that's all, that's all going to change with uh, California legislation. Hey, I thought we... What? What what legislation? Marijuana. We talking we talking politics again? Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, that's not politics. Oh, whatever. Yeah, marijuana, <laughs> marijuana passed recreational. I don't know how long does that take to actually implement though. Is that going to be one of these things where it's like three years later we're still yeah. talking about doing first it? of the year? Oh, really? Yeah. So just the first year magically it becomes legal to smoke pot? Yeah. But magic, it's it's not the issue of smoking it; it's the issue of possession. Uh -huh. You know, if you smoke uh -huh. it in your own house, then it's hard for the cops to bust you on that, no matter what. But if they pull you over driving down the road and you've got it in your pocket, then it means that they're not allowed to search your car because they found weed in your pocket. So what what was the prop exactly? Prop sixty four. So it, yeah. it establishes a bunch of things like how many plants you can grow. So I mean, this straight up makes it legal. Like you can legally walk around with it. Yeah. So, yeah, in January, recreational licensing will become available to stores that want to sell. So, you know, most likely places that work recreationally right now will will try to get a recreational or sorry, medically. Most likely the places that that distribute medically right now will be applying for uh licenses for recreational use. Um, and you can, you know, if you have it in your home, you can share it with other people. It's legal to buy it. But there's similar stuff to, you know, public intoxication laws where you can't walk down the street smoking a joint. Just like you can't walk down the street drinking a beer. Yeah. Legally. No, you could technically do it. But, yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's going to raise a whole lot of questions coming up in the future. But I brought that up for a reason. I was going to put that on this list. I brought that up because I was wondering, I know drunk programmers... Or, or, you know, the Balmer curve. I don't know how weed affects programmers. Do you know any, any programmers who just insist on having a joint before sitting down for a real session? No. No. I, I met uh, Lyricon last year. I met one uh, from Denver. And we talked about the laws there. And, you know, he was telling me, you know, yeah, he grows and smokes his own. and But... Yeah, I don't. Not, not like alcohol. I, I I'm not aware of any. Interesting. I'm gonna have to look into this one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. We talked. Uh, we had an episode a couple couple episodes back talking about drugs that enhance enhance your ability to to code a little bit and. Right. The the LSD microdosing stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't think this is going to be one of those. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious. I'm my biggest question, and it's been ever since states started making it legal, is how do they test for this in the field? Like, if you're driving and you're suspected of being high, I mean, when you're suspected of being drunk, they have a procedure. They have test kits. They have things they can do. They have breathalyzers that, that they make you blow into and can say, hey, yeah, this guy's intoxicated. Sure. But to my knowledge, there's nothing like that for pot. Nope. So what's how's that going to work? Well, it, it works the same way that they measure intoxication with alcohol which is they start with a field test on you which is just can you walk can you talk can you do the alphabet backwards without saying i can't do that because i'm drunk because <laughs> that's you know that's what that test is when they say can you do the alphabet backwards people who are drunk say no i can't i'm drunk <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty great but I, I live in fear being asked that because i know i can't period. right everyone does <laughs> i can't Everyone does, which is why, which is why the most common response is, "I can't even do that sober." Which is <laughs> so, it's really a judgment call for the officer. If he thinks you're too intoxicated to drive, he can arrest you, no matter what you're intoxicated under. You know, it's the same thing for somebody who's high on meth right now and gets pulled over, or high on weed. I mean, you're not going to have more people driving while high just because it's legalized. Everyone has weed right now in California. Yeah. So, I I don't. You want some? <laughs> <laughs> you have to laugh directly um, into the mic. They don't know you're laughing if you turn away from it. I'm terrified that like the cops are going to come busting down your door now. YouTube's pulling us from the air because we're we're doing a live drug transaction. We're streaming a drug transaction. <laughs> we're not. We're not streaming a drug transaction. I don't know what bots are out there listening to us. We're not. Wait, Jesus. I, this terrifying. If this isn't our best podcast ever, our next one will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to look into that. I'll let you know what I find. I'm going to tell you, I was heartbroken this week. I, I worked very hard. Oh. I, I I thought I knew for sure the direction a certain decision was going to take, and I had my dreams crushed. Yeah, it's it's tough to see the country move this way. Really? No, to no, these... Thomas, not the country. Laracon. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, we talked about it a while back, and I been engaging taylor for years about moving laricon out to san diego now when he you say years you mean years bit. really years i really mean years yeah i really mean years and he teased me with uh, with it a little bit this year with a couple dms on twitter i think he just likes toying with my emotions he never intended on actually bringing me out to san diego he just wanted to get my hopes up but laricon us 2017 was announced not only is it not in San Diego, it's nowhere close to San Diego. Yeah, it's, it's the like opposite of far, San Diego. <laughs> it's as far from San Diego as you can probably get and still stay in the continental U.S. I'm not going to say where it's at because I don't want to encourage people to attend. No, I'll care. It's going to be in New York City. There, I said it. Yeah. <laughs> the home of our president-elect, New York City. Yeah. Yeah, they announced the dates too. Uh, we're looking at July 25th and 26th, and and this is actually Laracon's return to New York because they were yep, there previously. The first... Yeah, well, not previously. That was their, if I remember correctly, that was their first Laracon was in New York City. Oh, well, have you checked out the website? Uh, yeah. They have after parties planned, and it says the drinks are on us. We we had after parties uh, this year. Yeah, but the drinks we, weren't the drinks weren't on Laracon. Yeah, they were. Every, every oh, this year, I didn't go this year. Yeah, every day uh, after the conference, they had well, they they had it with with you as well. Where in the lobby they had drinks. Yeah, I just didn't get invited. <laughs> and then this year they actually had an after party where we went to a bar and drank, and it was a good time. But I was I was looking at. 
I mean, it's New York City for crying out loud. And yeah. One thing that's nice about LetterCon is it's one of the more affordable conferences to go to. But my God, dude, looking at hotels in New York City, it's so expensive. And it is still a single track conference. It's still just the one stage. Super happy about that. Yeah, I am super happy. I'm glad he's keeping it a single track. I hope he holds on to that as long as he can. I mean, it's kind of a specialty conference, so I don't see why you would ever not be a single track. I, I think you might be getting a little too big for yourself if you feel like you have to have a multi-track conference for Laravel. Not that you couldn't do it, just I think you'd start diluting the conference a little bit with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the single track conference with with Laracon is hands down. I mean, look look at the speakers that they already have queued up. I mean, these are yeah, these are the top in in our little community. So, and out of it, I mean, Adam Wathan, one of our one of our favorite contributors here. We we bring him up every other episode or so. You know, we're we're doing an interview with him, right? I know. I'm so excited. I know it's January. Our first, our first uh, Laravel user group meetup in January. We're going to do a hangout with Adam Wathen. So I am like, super, super excited about it. We have um, yeah, and now Evan Yu is going to be speaking as well, and he's the creator of uh, Vue.js. Which boy, Vue.js has really started tying itself to Laravel lately. Yeah, well, not lately. Ever since, ever since Taylor mentioned looking at Vue.js, and Evan Evan Yu is pretty upfront about it. Uh, he did a keynote la- last year where he showed the uh, the downloads from GitHub from the, the day that Taylor Otwell tweeted, hey, I'm looking at Vue.js, and you see this massive spike that just shoots up. Oh, yeah. And uh, so he's, I mean, he's pretty upfront that, I do like the fact that he... Within the view community, he separates himself from Laravel. So there's a lot of stuff within View that is really view centric. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't make it so much where View is nothing without Laravel, uh, but he's very accommodating to the Laravel community. Like any you know talks or conferences or anything, he's there. He's so it's it's nice. It's it's good. I need to get. We have. Uh, we talked uh, last. I think we talked about last week. We have a new view meetup here in San Diego. Yeah, and they're they're coming to do a talk about view for us next week in our Laravel talk. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have two presentations at that meetup. We're gonna have view and testing in Laravel. So that'll be uh, an interesting one to have. I know testing in Laravel can actually be quite different than testing in other frameworks. Is this your last meetup? Is this your last San Diego Laravel? No, I'll be here till February, so I'll I'll be there at the January meetup. Ah, you can't get rid good. of me that quickly. I tried. I already got already got uh, Marcus queued up. Oh, I know. You you brought somebody in from out of state last meetup. Huh? You brought Kalen in, flew him out here just to replace me. <laughs> you stood you stood us up side by side and compared. So speaking of. Uh, uh, conventions. Have you been to the True North convention? No, it's one of those. It's one of those conferences I've always wanted to go to. It's the one that's held in uh, Toronto. Uh, Grumpy Programmers, one of the guys who organizes that one. Yeah, and he's he's the uh, PHP Unit guy. He writes a lot about PHP Unit. Yeah, you talk about testing in PHP. That, that guy will run you over the coals if you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, but I was reading. Reading about how I guess this was the last year for it. They they ran the True North PHP um, conference for I think this was their fifth year, and uh, their last year. And so really, uh, I didn't yeah I didn't read the whole article as to why this decision was made. But uh, yeah, as as it stands right now, there's there won't be another True North uh, PHP. That's a bummer to hear. Yeah, kind of kind of is. I always got that one confused with uh, the Pacific Northwest PHP conference. I always get it confused with the uh, South by Southwest. How's that? How would you get True North confused with South by Southwest? I just confuse easily. Well, this is true. <laughs> well, that this leaves a, an, an opening, though. I mean, there's a conference shutting down, and there's a conference going all the way over to New York. We need somebody to, to have a conference here in San Diego. Somebody 
to to rise don't, up. Don't and... start. Don't start this conversation with me again. No. And, and, and start. Uh, it's not that I don't want to. I have zero time. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I couldn't even get Taylor to bring out an established conference. You think I can create a conference from scratch? Yeah. Nobody likes me that much. I, I, nobody would come speak to other. Oh, yeah. I, I can't get presenters to our stinking PHP user group meetings. You think I'm going to be able to get a presenter to a conference? Well, I, I had to bail out on that when I was... I had a project. That yeah, was that's running. right. You you bailed on me. <laughs> God, you're supposed to be my friend. Oh, I almost didn't. I almost committed myself to something I couldn't actually pull off. I was very drunk. So our our favorite encryption project, let's encrypt. Yes. Did you see this uh, this post that I put on Trello? No. So there's there's two interesting things about it. So let's encrypt. If you're not familiar with it, why are you not familiar with it? But if you're not familiar with it, they've basically made uh, HTTPS affordable for everybody by making by doing these TLS uh, certs for free. They're short-lived certs; they only last uh, three months, so you have to put some routines in it to make sure you're constantly looking for renewals. Well, they have a. Uh, like a GoFundMe page. It's it's on. Well, this is actually one of the things I want to talk about. It's on the site called Generosity, which I had never heard of. And uh, have you ever heard of Generosity before? No, but it says here Generosity by Indiegogo. That's what I was going to bring up. Mm. I know your love for Indiegogo. Yeah, I'll never use them again. So Generosity looks very much like a GoFundMe page where they're not saying you're getting anything. They're not building anything. This is just, hey, we have this effort. Will you help us? The thing that kind of caught me off guard, their goal was $200,000. I'm like, oh, that, is, that is pretty significant. Yeah, so that's a lot of money. And uh, I listened to the video. They, they claim that it's costing them $200,000 a month to run Let's Encrypt. But they're not... They're not without support, though. I believe Let's Encrypt is owned by Akami or Akamai. Is that not it? Oh, I, I don't know, to be honest. Because, I mean, I, yes, I, they're, they're doing us a, a very generous uh, service here, but it's not purely through the, their own good graces. You know, I, I've always been curious how they were funded. Now, I never thought it cost almost a quarter of a million dollars a month to run it. But, that that wouldn't uh, surprise me so much, but really, yeah, uh, that's a D lot of money. DDoSs are expensive. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's what it's I run by the funny. ISRG, the Internet Security Research Group, which is a tax exempt group sponsored by a diverse group of organizations, and the so they they do have some sponsorship. They do have some sponsorship, and their board of members includes employees of Akami, Mozilla, Cisco, EFF, uh, Stanford Law School, University of Michigan. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're directly associated with Akami, but I know that there's a there's a connection to the two. What's funny is if you watch the video, if you look at the page as well, there's a little graph there on growth of HTTPS page loads. And if you watch the video, they say, when we started uh, Let's Encrypt, only about 40% of the web was using HTTPS. But since Let's Encrypt, and then it draws this graph that goes up, 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 up. You're like, holy crap, that's like 90% of the web. And it goes... And it goes from 40%, and the top of the chart is 48%. Really? 8%? 8%'s costing you almost a quarter of a million dollars? Seriously? Now, this this is going to become more important, though, because the uh, Chrome is going to start warning users whenever they use non-HTTPS sites. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's kind of a pain in the butt, uh, even now with Chrome. I, I have certain sites that... it it will just bomb on if it doesn't have HTTPS uh, enabled on it. Really? And there's no reason not to do it. I, I, I've deployed it on 
all of it. I think I even deployed it on a PHP, PHP Ugly uh, uh, site. I should check that right now to, before I say that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to have to cut that out. Let me see. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, you know, typically on every site I deploy now, I'll I'll spin up a Let's Encrypt cert for it. And uh, even though there's no logins for anybody, well, there is actually a login to the PHP Ugly site now for, for me. But um, Oh, I don't get one. That's okay. I offered you one last week. You said, no. I said, do we have a website? <laughs> Are you recording this? Uh, so that was, I thought that was cool. I did not realize it costs that much to run Let's Encrypt. Holy crap, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for supporting them. I think the proper way to support them is to use their paid service because Indiegogo is a dumpster fire. Do they have a paid service? Sure. Absolutely. You were saying that it's the the certification is only a three month certification. <clears throat> yeah. You can you service. can buy a longer service. Where I'm not seeing it. Donate. I see a donate button, which takes you to the generosity page. There's no paid service for Let's Encrypt. You goofball. What am I? I. Is this the episode where I'm wrong about everything? <laughs> oh no, that was. Every episode before this. <laughs> yeah, and let's see. If he, what does it take to become a sponsor? Uh, yeah, so all their sponsors pay to be sponsors. So they're, they they do. They're getting money that way. But now there's no paid, no paid branch. Hmm. I'm not I'm not cutting that out either because I like to I like it when you're wrong. And, and we've never cut out when I'm wrong. So all the times you've ever heard are the times I've been wrong. You know what else you were wrong with? What? PHP 7.1 release oh my candidate God. 5 was going to be the last release no, candidate. No, this is the last release candidate. RC6. Even say it this time. Final release. Do not use it in production. This is the last one we promise edition. Boy, I, I even I had to link to the the blog post about it just so it was clear this is the sixth and final release candidate for 7.1.0 it's done it's over it's done <laughs> i can't wait this that's, this means that 7.1 will come out officially once my current real pain in the ass project is finished which means my very next project is going to be migrating to 7.1 which makes me super happy one of the things I love the most is that I can run the bleeding edge stuff where I work, and we will absolutely be doing it here. Yeah, I was I was sharing a story with you earlier, and I'll share it with the listeners as well. It's we have a, a client that we did an upgrade. We only upgrade to five point six, and it has just been a week, a couple weeks now, of just paranoid tickets being raised by the client. Every th every time something goes a little quirky on the site, they think it's because of this upgrade, and it, it they could be the most random issues. It's like, oh man, it's just this this. And to their to their defense, there has been a couple of things that we have tracked back as being related to the upgrade. Um, the way uh, PHP five six uh, parses HTML and all this other, you know, all these little quirky things that we've had to work, work, fix, actually make the code better. I mean, it's been all positive, but man, uh, upgrading is not always a fun thing. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I don't have my weekly bit. What's your weekly bit? My, my Tom's doom and gloom segment. What do you mean? There's no. I don't have a doom and gloom segment. But I mean, how do you? How is it any different than the other week? Well, this is all good news. Oh, is this next? Is this next thing a good? I, I see the dark reading. I'm like, this has got to be doom and gloom. <laughs> is it not doom and gloom? No, this isn't doom and gloom. This is good. Well, god damn it! That's good. Pretty this, good. This now, is good-ish. Good-ish. All That's... right. Before 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 we get into it. I'm going to put you on the spot because you hurt my feelings week after week. What did you think of last week's show? Did we have a show last week? My freaking God. 
Our editors went out of their way to fulfill your requests, and you can't do them the oh simple justice of listening to the. My God, man! I mean, really? <laughs> well, yes, they really did. Not not only did they fulfill your request, and they must listen to the show because they did it. They did it without your prompting. They what? they sent me multiple copies of what? the show with. With and without the music, in case I wasn't happy. What? I wasn't particularly happy with the music that they put in there, but they made the effort to do it, so I kept it in there. Oh my god. I apologize to our editors. I will absolutely (laughs) put aside time to listen to my own show. I, I, I've been fighting all week not to say anything to you because I wanted you, I wanted (sighs) to see if you listened and, and caught it and you never did and once again my heart just is a little empty now i feel bad hold on hold on what are we doing why are we holding there we go happening? i feel better having oh, some okay. having some beer all right so let's talk about your last uh news thing that's not doom and gloom we got about five minutes oh no i can i can absolutely take this to doom and gloom territory let's not do that let's stay positive we've had enough doom and gloom this week you know, with the elections and Laracon going to New York and all that. You know what the DMCA I... is? Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So it basically says that it says that if if a company puts some kind of encryption or locking mechanism on something, then it is illegal to try and circumvent that encryption or locking mechanism. So okay. if your coffee maker requires Keurig brand coffee. You really have an issue with the Keurig uh, coffee maker. Yeah, it is. It is a particularly stupid example of DMCA. But it means that you're not allowed to circumvent that in any way. You're not allowed to try and reuse a cup. You're not allowed to try and sell a cup that claims to be acceptable by the coffee machine. Uh, it's well, just... I, I I understand the second part. The first part is where I take exception because if you buy the coffee maker, you should be able to do whatever it is you want. It's your coffee maker now. And this is where the whole DMCA thing really starts to irk me. But right. Go ahead. Well, and, and beyond that, it's illegal to provide instructions on how to build your own way of circumventing this technology. So there's been a recent decision by the, the U.S. Copyright Office, which basically said yeah when it comes to cars and medical devices um researchers are allowed to violate these restrictions so cool yeah it's good because there's a lot of security researchers out there who every time they issue some notice of a bug they found you know their their fingers are crossed because what they did to find a bug is technically break the law and that's a very kill the messenger type law to have you know you don't right. want to you don't want to blame the good guys for finding out what the bad guys are actually doing and making sure that it can't be done there's been plenty of instances where hackers have been able to compromise pacemakers uh teslas ford cars while they're driving down the freeway over bluetooth mm-hmm. the era we live in when you see an ad for a connected car that's got Wi-Fi in the cabin, I I don't see a really good thing coming from that. I see really bad things coming from that. And allowing researchers to say, yeah, though there's here's an example of how bad that is, is good in my book. Yeah. Now, the EFF has come out and said simply this doesn't go far enough. Uh, the EFF has come out and said... Now, EFF is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They said DMCA laws are handcuffing people for owning things. It it hurts people who buy things the right way, and it restricts what it is that you're actually purchasing. So they're generally against all of this DRM stuff. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I'm on board with the EFF. I think that DRM is, is stupid. It's not making anyone any money. And it's probably costing them money, and it's hurting consumers. Yep, totally agree. But for the time being, at least things are getting a little bit better. Yeah, this is good to know, especially especially 
as much as these driverless cars are becoming more and more prominent, as much as technology is moving into the medical field where people are bringing home machines that their lives literally depend on. Um, yeah, and making sure that the people protecting to make sure these devices are safe, making sure they're safe from legal action and not having them constantly worried about whether or not they have to defend their actions, I think it's a good step. Well, and especially given the news from the last few weeks of the the Mirai botnet network, um, you know, I, I mentioned that there was a Chinese company that had said, here's the patch to fix the issue, and if you ever blame us for this, we'll sue the shit out of you. And that can't be a legally valid position for a com- for for anyone. If you're responsible for something, then you have to take the blame. And to say because you broke the law under the DMCA and found out that we completely screwed something over, then we're going to sue you. I mean, these are these are people making a living off of trying to help other people and y- we have to protect them. Yes, they are people who are making a living. I people like uh uh Brian Krebs you know, he is a white hat hacker. He is somebody who makes a living off of this work. And it's because it's work that he enjoys and it's work that he can profit off of. But it's also under this dark cloud of constantly being threatened by people for the results he gets. And this does make really valuable progress towards a freer and safer future. All right. Cool. Freer, safer future. I don't know. I don't know how free and safe our future is going to be, you know, with everything that's happened this past week. Because New York City is not a very safe place to have a conference. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. I'm just going to let everybody know how I feel. I've got, I'm very opposed to New York City and everything they've produced lately. It's the best, best city. Conference. It has the greatest words. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think we're going to have to call this a day because we're, we're about an hour into it and with edits and stuff. We made it all the way through, though. We, we said nothing technically politically controversial. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm really proud of us. For, I don't think we're giving ourselves enough credit for that. <laughs> this has been episode 36 of PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep it ugly. We miss you, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly. And a special thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then you want to reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Links and show notes from this episode of PHP Ugly can be found at www.phpugly.com. You can follow our hosts on Twitter. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Play Podcast, or SoundCloud. If you like what you hear, then please leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, keep it ugly.